You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Uh, today's reading is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, hi there, PC. Uh, it's good to be back with you after some annual leave. Uh, would you please pray with me uh, as we come to look at God's word? Let's pray together, hey? Uh, gracious Father, uh, we do pray that this day uh, you would... Uh, capture our hearts and minds afresh with your wonderful mercy to us in Christ, uh, that we might give our whole lives to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, However conscious of it we might be, uh, the reality is we've all got an answer to the question, how should we live? How should we live? How should we live our lives as human beings uh, that we might find the the, the purpose and meaning and and satisfaction that we all long for? Uh, Of course, your answer to that question uh, really depends on how you see the world around you, how you see life itself. For example, some people see life as being a little bit like this upward-moving arrow. They're convinced that if we can just get people educated enough to develop all the right science and technology, uh, then generally speaking, things will get better. Others see life as being more like this random set of dots on a page. There's no ultimate purpose or meaning in life. Uh, So really, the best you can do is get busy trying to maximise your own happiness and minimise your pain. Others see life as being a bit like this spiral. You've just got to do your best to play your part in the continuing cycle of the universe. You just hope you do a good enough job to get a good life in the next life. Others see life as a constant struggle to get above the line in this picture. Whether they do that by doing their very, very, very best to to follow a particular set of religious rules or or rituals. Of course, the one thing all these answers to the how should we live question have in common is that they're all convinced that any progress in happiness or harmony or holiness is going to be because of our works. 
You know, it's all about us. It's about our intelligence, our dedication, our sacrifice, our strategies. Well, the Christian answer is completely different to that, isn't it? Christianity says that, that we find a life of purpose and meaning and satisfaction not in proudly trusting in our works, but in humbly trusting in Christ's works, like the life, death and resurrection of Christ. And as we do that, we receive all the blessings that come from Christ. Right? Not because we deserve them, but because we're better than anyone else, but simply because of God's mercy. Well, that's the point of today's passage. Right? The question for Christians is not just how should we live, but how should we live in response to God's mercy? And Paul's answer is that we should respond to God's mercy by living lives in which we relate rightly to God, to ourselves, and to one another. Well, we should respond to God's mercy by living lives in which we relate rightly to God, to ourselves, and to one another. So first, let's take a look at verses 1 and 2, uh, where we see how we can relate rightly to God. I look at verse 1, Paul says, uh, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, right? Paul is kind of pleading with these Christians in Rome, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, but right, as Christians, we're to live our lives in view of God's mercy, in response to God's mercy. Right, because through faith in Christ, where we've personally experienced God's mercy. You, maybe you remember in Romans 1 to 11, Paul has gone to great lengths to, to unpack God's amazing mercy, his incredible mercy. From chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20, uh, he showed us exactly why we need God's mercy. It's because we're all sinners. That might be a bit shocking to you, but isn't it true that if we're honest, all of us fall short of our own imperfect standards, let alone God's perfect standards? We're in desperate need of God's mercy. So from chapter 3, verse 21, Paul told us how we can receive God's mercy. In chapters 3 and 4, he explained that if we trust in Christ's death on the cross, uh, this amazing exchange happens, a swap. Right? Jesus takes on our sinful and imperfect record uh, while we take on his holy and perfect record. Right? So, so in Christ, God can declare us to be innocent before him, to, to be justified before him. This is God's incredible mercy. And then in chapters 5 to 8, Paul explained that we really can be sure of God's mercy to us in Christ. Well, we can be assured that we've been reconciled to God, that we've been set free from the power of the sin, the power of sin, right? Filled with God's Spirit, adopted into God's family. We can be sure that no suffering or hardship can separate us from God's love. It's God's incredible. In chapters 9 to 11, Paul explained that in God's infinite wisdom and power, he's got a plan not just to show mercy to people from among the Jews, but to people from every nation. Right? This is God's incredible mercy right? to all those who put their faith in Christ. So if that's you, Paul says, you should live your life in response to God's mercy. And now I dwell on this, but because I want you to be very clear on the difference between Christianity and religion. 
Well, the Christian and the religious person both want to live a life that pleases God, but but, uh, but their motivation is is completely different, isn't it? The Christian's motivated by their experience of God's mercy, while the religious person's motivated by their fear of God's judgment. The religious person says, I obey God, uh, so I really, really hope that God will accept me and love me. Whereas the Christian says, I I know that God accepts me and loves me because I trust in Christ, therefore I joyfully give myself to obeying God. Paul says we can respond to God's mercy first by living a life in which we relate rightly to God. We do that first uh, by sacrificing our bodies. Look at at the second half of verse 1. Paul says, uh, to urge these Christians, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul's painting the picture here of a worshipper coming up to the temple with an offering. In the Old Testament, uh, uh, some offerings were called sin offerings, rather the worshipper sacrificing an animal in their place uh, so they could receive forgiveness from God. But Paul's already explained in Romans that Jesus' death on the cross is our sin offering. That's what we need to put our faith in. So he can't be referring to a sin offering here. He must be referring to what was called a whole burnt offering, a sacrifice of the most, the most valuable animal in your flock, an animal that was completely holy and perfect. This was an offering that showed that by which the worshipper was showing God that they weren't just giving him their leftovers. They were saying to God, everything I have belongs to you. So this whole burnt offering, is to be burnt up. And so Paul's picking up this idea of the whole burnt offering by urging Christians to, to offer their whole body to God, their whole life to God. Now, earlier in Romans, Paul talked about how sin affects every part of our body. You might remember back in chapter 3. So so we use our tongues to lie and gossip and our lips to curse God and others and our feet to to cause violence and destruction. We use our eyes to to covet wealth and lust after others. Sin affects every part of our being. But here Paul's saying that God's mercy has changed everything. So that now as a Christian, you're actually able to offer your body to God as holy and pleasing to him. You can use your tongue to to encourage others and build them up. You can use your lips to declare God's praises and share the gospel. You can use your feet to to walk closely with God and his people. You can use your hands to love and serve others and your arms to to embrace those who are struggling and lonely and your ears to listen to the cries of the distressed and your eyes to, to look humbly towards your God. In response to God's mercy, you're called to offer your whole body to him. Every minute of every day is an opportunity to do that. That's what Paul means when he says our bodies are to be living sacrifices. In response to Jesus' once for all sacrifice for our sins, we're to offer our lives as a continual sacrifice for God's service. 
Right? And notice that Paul says that this is your true and proper worship. Right? Literally, your reasonable worship, your logical worship. You see what Paul's saying? Right? He's saying that the, really the only logical response to God's incredible mercy is to offer your whole life to him. Right? In Christ, God, God mercifully gave his whole life for you. Right? No, 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 not just a few scraps. So it just makes sense that you would give your whole life for him. And you might be listening to this and thinking to yourself, wow, this kind of all of life commitment to God just sounds crazy. It just seems foolish, a bit too radical and intense. Well, if that's you, it might be because, not guaranteed, but it might be because you need a new way of thinking about things. Or what Paul calls in verse 2, the renewal of your mind. Back in Romans 8, Paul said that the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But now Paul's writing to Christians, right? Christians who by God's mercy are not in the flesh, but are in Christ, in the spirit. So in verse 2, he says to them, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So, so Paul's saying that there are basically two patterns of thinking. Right? So two, uh, there's the pattern of the world uh, and there's the pattern of God's will. And he's saying as Christians, we're called to be conformed to the pattern of God's will rather than to the pattern of the world. And he says that happens as we're transformed. Right? The word transformed there being where we get our word metamorphosis. See what Paul's saying? He's saying that when you become a Christian, you've got to experience a complete metamorphosis. And he says that metamorphosis happens by, through, by the means of the renewing of your mind. Right? Why is that? Oh, well, because your mind is like the control tower of your entire being, isn't it? It's your mind that's continually making decisions about how you use your body, how you express your feelings, how you filter your different thoughts. So Paul says it's only as your mind is renewed that in any given situation you'll be willing to live in line with God's will. Right? Because you'll see that God's way is best. Right? God's way is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. So how do we obey this command to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? We've got to allow God's word by the power of his spirit to control and shape our mind. It's a bit like listening to a radio, right? If you can remember one of those kind of old outdated things, a radio, you know, those things. Right? Paul's saying that, that your mind's a little bit like a radio in which there are two frequencies you can listen to. Right? You can listen to the voices of the world around you, right? allowing their voices to shape how you live. Or you can listen to God's voice in the Bible, allowing his voice to shape how you live. And he's saying if you keep tuning into God's voice, humbly submitting to God's voice, over time your mind will be controlled and shaped by the truth you hear from God's word uh, rather than by the lies you hear from the world around you. 
But how should we respond to God's mercy? Well, first, by relating rightly to God in sacrificing our bodies uh, and in renewing our minds. Uh, Of course, as your mind is renewed, it'll transform how you see yourself. That's what Paul talks about in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, uh, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment uh, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Right, Paul really wants us to, to have this accurate view of ourselves. Right? So, so we said so we should think of ourselves with sober judgment. Uh, of course, when someone's drunk, they're, they, they're just not quite in touch with reality, are they? They really can't get a clear picture of themselves. But the person who's sober is in touch with reality. Right? They, they can get a, get a clear picture of themselves. And Paul's saying, that's what we've got. We've got to get this clear picture of ourselves. And we can get that clear picture, he says, as we view ourselves, look at the end of verse 3, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to us. Which is to say that if you're a Christian, God has given you a saving faith in Christ. And Paul says that faith is the standard by which you should view yourself. And that standard tells you first that you shouldn't think too much of yourself. Why? Well, because your faith in the gospel tells you that that you are deeply sinful and and messed up and broken, right? So sinful that Christ had to die for you. That should breed a real humility in your life, right? You you shouldn't think too much of yourself. On the other hand, you, you shouldn't think too little of yourself. Because by God's mercy to you in Christ, you are a deeply loved child of God. So being someone who's shaped by God's mercy to you in Christ means being someone who is deeply humble, because you understand your sin, and yet deeply confident, because you're assured of God's love. As we have this right view of ourselves, uh, we're able to re- relate rightly to one another in the church. That's what Paul speaks about in verses 4 to 8. Uh, if you look at verses 4 and 5, you, you'll see there uh, that Paul says that if we're going to relate rightly to one another, we've first got to understand that we're all members of the same body of Christ. Look at verse 4. For just as each of us has one body uh, with many members... And these members do not uh, all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. One of the real strengths uh, of evangelical Christianity uh, is the emphasis it places on the need for people to have a personal faith in Christ, a personal relationship with Christ. But in a kind of highly individualistic culture like ours, we can press that a little bit far, I think, to the extent that some professing Christians seem to think that they've been committed to a church. It's, look, it's really just an optional extra to the Christian life. But Paul says it's not. He says, if you belong to Christ, you belong to Christ's body. Of course, you give expression to your, to your belonging to Christ's body by physically gathering with Christ's body. 
Yeah, of course, in the midst of COVID, that's been nearly impossible, at least extremely difficult. But let me encourage you, right, as we all pray that these restrictions continue to ease, let me encourage you to prioritise physically gathering with the other members of the body of Christ here at DPC. Because relating rightly to one another means understanding that we're all members of the same body of Christ. We belong to one another. But in verse 6, Paul reminds us that we're all different members of that body of Christ. Just like the human body, right? My eye and my ear and my leg, they're all part of the same body, but they're different parts of my body by playing different roles in my body. Well, the same is true in the body of Christ. Even though we're all members of the same body, we're all different members of that body. Paul drives that home, you'll see in verses 6 to 8, by listing the different spiritual gifts that we might have. This, of course, it's not an exhaustive list. God's given lots of different gifts to his people. But it's a good place to start. So first, Paul speaks about the gift of prophecy. Now, sometimes in the New Testament, prophecy refers to uh, the gift of delivering messages that come directly from God. But notice here that Paul tells the people with this gift of prophecy to prophesy in accordance with the faith. In other words, they're not allowed to prophesy anything that contradicts accepted Christian teaching. That would seem a little bit unnecessary, wouldn't it, if prophecy is referring to messages directly from God. Like, surely God doesn't contradict himself. So I think prophecy here refers to the spirit-empowered proclamation of God's word. A proclamation that might happen in more structured ways, like in a sermon like this. Or it might happen in more spontaneous ways, like in a conversation after church. Either way, the person prophesying must only proclaim things that are in line with the Christian faith. Paul then speaks about those gifted to serve. These are the people who, they're just really good at doing all the kind of practical and administrative things that keep the church ticking over. Then there are those gifted to teach. The people who are able to make the truth of God's word really clear and compelling. For some people, that teaching will will happen in the context of preaching, but but for others, it'll happen in a gospel community or in children's ministry or in a one-on-one ministry. Oh, we need gifted teachers. And we need gifted encouragers. Encouragements are about getting alongside someone and speaking words to them that, that strengthen them to keep trusting and serving Christ. I'm sure you've experienced it. I've definitely been encouraged by many of you, even in this season of COVID. It's wonderful to have encouragers around. And then there are those gifted to give. And now we know all Christians are called to give, right? But those with this gift of generosity kind of enjoy giving in unusual proportions. And typically they're so wise in their giving that it seems to to lead to great spiritual fruitfulness. Paul then speaks about those who are gifted to lead. A leader is someone who's able to get people to follow them. You know, that's not rocket science, right? But but a leader is someone who can cast a vision and present a plan and people are actually inspired to get on board. That's a leader. Finally, there are those who are with the gift of mercy. 
of the people who were drawn to, to care for those on the margins, perhaps. The poor, the sick, the weak, the, the lonely. And these are the people who might eventually be appointed as deacons here at DPC. I wonder what spiritual gifts you might have. What unique role can you play in the life of our church here at DPC? Right, but Because as... Excuse me. Uh, because just as the, the human body is kind of unhealthy if parts of the body aren't doing their role, so also Christ's body is unhealthy if parts of the body aren't doing their role. But all of you listening to this are valuable to our body. But all of you have an important role to play. I think this is particularly important for us to remember as we kind of emerge from this season of COVID-19, right? It's been quite difficult to serve during this season for many of us. In fact, while we're thankful for all the blessings of online church, the reality is it can breed a little bit of consumerism in our hearts. You know, we sit there at home on our couch watching TV, watching church on TV. It can get a bit of consumerism in our hearts. So this is a good time for us to consider afresh the question, what gifts do I have that I could use to build up the body of Christ here at DPC? But if you're not sure, let me give you four tips. The first is take a look at yourself. This is what Paul says in verse 3, take a sober look at yourself. I could consider what you're passionate about, what you're good at, what problems you have, what you're not good at, what problems you notice, rather. Take a look at yourself. Second, take a look at God's Word. Spend some time prayerfully reflecting on the list of spiritual gifts here in Romans 12, as well as in Ephesians 4 and in 1 Corinthians 12. A third... Take a look at the body, our church. Ask a pastor or a leader what needs there are in our church. Because God gave you your gifts, not primarily for you to express yourself, you know, for your own self-fulfillment, but for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. And fourth, actually give some things a go. Because it's hard to know if you're gifted at something if you never give it a try. Give some things a go. I began today by speaking about that question, how should we live? And we're seeing that the Christian answer to that question is we should respond to God's mercy by living lives in which we relate rightly to God, to ourselves, and to one another. The point being that God's mercy changes everything. Absolutely everything. God's mercy affects every part of your life for the rest of your life. Uh, one man who, who understood that perfectly uh, was a guy named Nicholas von Zinzendorf. Well, I'm sure you're all familiar with Mr. Zinzendorf. Uh, in 1719, at the age of 19, uh, Nicholas von Zinzendorf was touring around Europe. You know, he was on his kind of equivalent of his gap year. Uh, and he was visiting an art gallery in Dusseldorf. And he saw this painting by Domenico Fitti. Uh, the painting's called Eki Homo, sorry, I'm not great at Italian, translated, Behold the Man. Now, Zinzendorf saw this painting in the gallery, and he just honestly couldn't take his eyes off Jesus. Absolutely transfixed by Jesus. And then he saw the words at the bottom of the painting. 
are the words that are translated as all this I did for you. So what are you doing for me? Right there in the gallery, Zinzendorf gave his life to Christ. Right? And he went on to, to found the, the Moravian missionary societies that preach the gospel to the nations. Right? That gets to the heart of Paul's message, not just in today's passage, but in the coming weeks. Right? He's saying to us, in his mercy, in his mercy to you in Christ, God gave you absolutely everything. So in response, you're called to give absolutely everything to him, right? to be all in with him. So if you're watching today and you're not a Christian yet, I pray that your heart would be moved by God's mercy this day to put your faith in Christ and his death on the cross for your sins right? and receive all the blessings that come from that. Right? But if you're watching today and you're already a Christian, I pray that you'd continue responding to God's mercy by being all in with him and his people. And so the reality is that lots of things have changed this year. I know that. Right? Many aspects of our lives have really slowed down or perhaps even ground to a halt. Right? And it's okay to slow down sometimes. Right? But one thing that we mustn't let grind to a halt it is our commitment to the mission of making disciples of Christ who have personally experienced God's mercy. In the coming weeks, we're going to be sending around some documents about DPC's vision for that mission in 2021 and beyond. But we wanted to start here in Romans 12, right? Why? Because we know that ultimately none of that stuff will happen. If we don't decide that despite all the challenges of this year, we're going to continue together responding to God's mercy by being all in with him and his people here at DPC. But in Christ, God was all in for us, wasn't he? I wonder if you'll be all in for him. By relating rightly to God, to yourself and to one another. Please pray with me. Oh, our Father, we, we thank you for this, your word. And we do praise you for your incredible mercy to us in Christ. Uh, and we pray, Father, that we would respond afresh this day uh, by giving our all to you. Uh, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.